going on, everybody? It's Rockman3k3, and you have stumbled upon another great episode of The Nerd Plate. The Nerd Plate! Uh, unfortunately, once again, uh, Leroy Ketchum cannot join us because he's off doing great teens. Very, very great things. I'm proud of him. Uh, but he'll be back soon. Uh, just need a little bit of time. But today, guys, um, got a great show for you. Uh, but first, before we start, I just want to say uh had some great friends of mine you may know them one of the most popular podcasts of all time and part of our podcast family uh as as a group of friends not like in the same corporation or anything but i just want to say congratulations to government name on celebrating their 200th episode uh this week uh as of this episode if you're listening to this right now it's on thursday so they've already done on tuesday uh, they did a live show, which was hilarious. They're a great group of guys. Again, if you hadn't seen their podcast, guys, go check them out. Uh, it's called Government Name Podcasts. Hilarious. Go check them out if you want social commentary. Uh, Shogun and Cole Jackson have you laughing and thinking at the same time. Really great stuff. But now that we got that out of the way, love you guys. Congratulations. Good job. But now that that's out of the way. So. When I was thinking about the show topic for today, I was like, huh, well, what what can I do? And there's a lot that I could possibly talk about in the industry. But what I haven't done in a while is gone back and take you on a, on a nice little history lesson. So we're going to go down in the wine cellar and we're going to look around. And I, you know, I did. And this time, this fine wine that I've picked out is Bushido Blade. The Bushido Blade series. Now, to a lot of you, you're probably scratching your head right now like, Rockman, what the fuck is Bushido Blade? Uh, and to some of you, you're probably jumping up and down. Uh, maybe a few of you probably even know what that game is. Um, and some may know, which is awesome. And if you don't, that's okay. That probably just means you're just too young to know about it. Or, you know, you probably didn't know about it because it wasn't that popular when it came out. But a long, long time ago. First of all, let's kick the ballistics on it. Uh, it Bushido Blade was an awesome samurai simulation uh, created by Square Enix a long, long time ago. We're talking about back in the 90s. Let me get you uh, a date. But anyway, very great game and very different because unlike games that you and I know, um, this particular fighting game, which it was a fighting game, uh, centered all around what it was like to be a samurai back in that period. And so this was a real-life one-slash-one-kill kind of thing, like a real-life samurai duel. And so you had to get in and do moves and all kinds of crazy stuff. But it was held as a very big cult classic, and unfortunately we have not seen it even to this day. Um, if you're not familiar with the word Bushido... Bushido um, is kind of a the way of the samurai, basically, which is their big chivalry system, and it's a set of rules and guidelines that they live their lives about to the fullest, and it was all surrounding honor, um, which was really, really awesome, uh, very majestic uh, code of ethics, and uh, it's often compared, uh, well, kind of uncomparable, but a lot of times samurai are compared to cowboys, um, and just all kinds of different debates and things around that. But the Bushido Code was absolute for Samurai. Um, 
and it was phenomenal. But this game, this was released. Ooh, I was really showing my age. So this was released in the States on September 30th, 1997. Um, this is, of course, done by Square Enix. At the time, they were called Squaresoft. And this is before they even merged with EA, um, which did happen. Uh, but yeah, this is when they were just kind of their own company, and they were known for RPGs. Now, guys, this is around the time where um, Square Enix, so let's let's put the setting. So 1997 just happened. Now, I want to say, is this before or after Final Fantasy Seven? I want to say this is after. I'm going to double check on that, too. But anyway, around this time, PlayStation is still very new. It's still big. You know, people are still, or still as, a, as a young rock band, I'll say, like, probably teenage rock band. I'm like, oh, my God, like, these graphics are so great. They're never going to get any better, you know. Um, <laughs> and we're still marveling over the 3D graphics of the PlayStation. So around this time... Uh, Square Enix had put out a lot of great RPGs, um, and they were known as an RPG um, company, basically. Uh, this is basically kind of, I want to go ahead and say this is kind of their golden age, um, but some would probably disagree, but I kind of feel like the Super Nintendo to PlayStation era was their golden age. Um because they put out a lot of great hits. Some that you'll never know because they'll never do a sequel to. And others that they're still trying to capitalize on today, which are failing. And we'll get to that later on. But, uh, yeah, yeah, I want to say this is right after the Final Fantasy VII craze. Because, yeah, wow, Final Fantasy VII came out January 1997. Jesus. That's crazy. Um, Anyway, so at this time, Square Enix could basically do no wrong. Now, the cool thing about them is that Square Enix was releasing, like, a lot of RPGs, but they're also releasing games that kind of had the RPG element sometimes, or just weird games altogether. But they could release that because that was their fan base. Their fan base, which were weird gamers like myself, um, you know, we pretty much bought anything with their name on it at one point, and we still found some kind of joy or just excitement, because around this time, Bushido Blade came out, they made a second Bushido Blade 2 as well, um, they also made Urges, or Urgeis, however you say it, which was basically their fighting game that borrowed heavily from Tekken, but also had their spin on it, and had Final Fantasy 7 characters into it, they even had an arcade game for that, and I remember playing it in the arcade, it was only at Diamond Gems for like a week or so, but anyway, it was just a lot of things going on. Uh, Brave Fist and Musashi. They were just putting out hits, guys. I mean, even Xenogears, which was like one of their most underrated um, RPGs of all time, came out around the same time period in the 1997 1998 year. And it kind of went under the radar because, of course, Final Fantasy VII was out. And that's pretty much the big thing they were promoting and because it was doing so well. But anyway, going back to Shido Blade... Uh, they wanted to make a, a realistic fighting engine, and they wanted to do something that really kind of resonated with the Samurai Code or Bushido Code, and so they made Bushido Blade. Um, great game, guys, because not only 
where you give in a selection of samurai, but you can also select your weapon. And you just went in fighting from there. Uh, I did have a story mode, of course. Uh, the story mode was basically um, like this. Jojo teaches the discipline uh, of a certain master and then a society of assassins also reside in the dojo. Um, they kind of get into like a family fight and then he discovers, one of them discovers this cursed sword and he totally just disregards group's honor and tradition hell bottom. So then like you, you, as your character goes through, um, they take on the role of the escaped assassins fighting their way out to uh, basically, like, it's, it's weird. Everybody has their own storyline. But that's the basic story, is that the original master, um, you know, just kind of goes crazy with the, the new sword and kind of have to go stop him, stop your old teammates, things like that. Uh, kind of crazy story, and it changed based on what you did. But the cool thing about it was it was pure Bushido, which meant, like, you acted and you did and all your actions had to be by the way of the Bushido. Like, for example, which was really cool was you had movement at all times. It was a lot like how, well, almost all, I'd say 95% of the time when they have the little big cutscenes that you can't do anything. But then when you see your characters face to face with each other, then you can control your character again. So you operated on the pure Bushido. Now, other games like Way of the Samurai also displayed this, which is another one I'm going to talk about eventually, um, to where it left it up to the player to be as honorable as possible or disgraceful as possible. And what that means is, so you go through the game, and every time you get into a duel with the, the opposing samurai, they give you a speech, and then they draw their sword. Well, you can attack them at any time. So you can literally go up, slash them. Okay, that's over. Slash them. All right, next person. Slash if you wanted to do that. Now, what was so cool about Shield Blade in its time, aside from the gameplay and one of the original types of gameplay, was if you did slash the samurai or if you did, like, slash them dishonorably or acted dishonorably, you got a different ending. And that's the only ending you can get. But if you acted like a samurai and made choices like a samurai, you could get multiple endings from there. Um, really, really awesome. You had so many great moves. Um, and it was, like, really dope. Um, I remember this being one of the... Man, just one of the most original and weird games to play yet it was so like just so different because there's nothing else out like it and it wasn't your your typical okay you throw a fireball i throw a fireball or we block and you know we go back and forth or smash brothers no it was a concentrated think about your moves and then strike your opponent and Man, that was some of the best duels that you had with your buddies when you played this together. 
and uh, it was it was a trip because it took true skill. I mean, you couldn't just you know go in swords of wielding because if they parried you well or countered you well, I mean, so you could do aside from just take that cut and then die. Um, so you had to get to really like think about what you're gonna do. How you're gonna act and things like that. It was really cool. It was basically like being in a real samurai duel. And I mean, you and, and like when I tell you, you couldn't dishonor the other person. You really couldn't dishonor. Like they had moves your samurai could do, like throw sand in their eye, or you could slash them in the back if you wanted to, or you know, just what you couldn't. You couldn't do that. You had to uh, if you wanted to have. Or be a samurai, you had to act honorably. So it was really phenomenal. Uh, changed the game back then. Um, and they even had slash mode, which was crazy because you're just like basically going through and slashing like ninjas that come after you. And it, it was just one of those things where like you had ninjas that run at you. And that's like the first 20 to 30 ninjas. They just basically run at you. You just slash them. But after a while, it becomes, okay, I got to think. Because these ninjas are coming at me different. And, I mean, you you go up there. Like, I remember, I think the longest slash mode I've done is 800 kills in a row. And it was tough because you have to really read them. Because after a while, they start to think like, yeah, like at first... You start off with dumb ninjas that just run at you, but then you get more intelligent ninjas as things, you know, go on, and it was great. So that was a great mode, and it, again, just taught you to be aware how to counter things like that. Now, another crazy thing about this game was it was the first, one of the first fighting games to where your environment could get in your way, but not in a way like, oh, I punch you, and I, or I knock you out, you know, through the wall, or I punch you through the wall, and it takes off damage. No, got in the way, like, you're fighting in a bamboo forest, and if you struck wrong, your sword would get stuck, or you would counter yourself, or parry yourself, and you're left vulnerable to attack, so you have to really be careful, um, and it, it was just really dope, like, I remember just enjoying that, and playing it, and just like, man, it was really great, um, yeah, you know, it's just a great game. Unfortunately, when it came out, again, like I was saying, that was the good and bad thing about Square Enix. Back in the old PlayStation days, um, Square Enix, you know, companies like Square Enix, Konami, and a few others just put out so many games at one time that not every game got, like, super marketing. Like, at that moment, they were really just focusing on Final Fantasy VII. But the cool thing about that time as well is that a lot of times those type of games made so much money. Like Final Fantasy VII was such a phenomenal hit that it just gave Square Enix so much money and capital to just keep putting out games, to keep putting out, you know, just trying new things, putting things on the wall to see what stick. And, uh, I mean, it was just really great because you would get games like this, which, you know, again, didn't do so well because a lot of people didn't know about it. But for the people who did, like, play it, it had a cult following. Like, I will never forget this game. In fact, I still own the first one. I don't have the second one. Which, the second one came out. It was pretty good. It was a continuation of the story. Um, a little bit more fast-paced. 
It had a lot more action to it, but it was still that honorable gameplay. Like, that didn't change at all. Uh, and it was a direct sequel. Uh, it came out the next year, uh, 1998. It was... Okay, and it was re-released on uh, the PlayStation Network. So, I mean, you can always play it on that. But... Um, Gosh, sorry, my phone just did this thing where it was listening to me again. Um, but yeah, Shield Blade 2. Um, yeah, it was a lot more action-oriented because I think that was the problem that a lot of people had in the first one, that it was too stagnant and it, and it was too, um, too slow. This one sped up a lot of things. Um... Now you can choose playable characters from two opposing schools of assassins. Uh, it was great, though. I, I really enjoyed it. And, yeah. Um, there's also... Gosh, was that... I can't remember. I think, I think in the first one, the other problem, too, was one of the people you had to face was, like, they had a gun. And so, literally, as soon as they start talking, you had to, like, run around, parry, and then get close and slash them, which was the hardest thing to do. Um, and I think I think guns were not selectable in the second one, because it wasn't in the first one, and I can't remember if it was uh, in the second one or not. But it had more weapons, uh, it even allowed you to equip uh, the sledgehammer again. And the brave here, um, but yeah, it was just a good series. Um, so how do I feel about it? What what kind of memories do I have attached to it? It was crazy because it, as a as an aspiring game designer, uh, it taught me to really look at things especially like things from a, a very realistic perspective. It was one of the few games where realism uh, helped the game. Uh, that game series definitely benefited a lot from its realism. I tell people that all the time whenever I talk about games and talk about uh, realism in games. Like realism only works when it benefits the, the player, but when it gets in the way, it, it's, it's really bad. Like it's a good thing. It's good to have realism in games sometimes. But when they get in the way of the enjoyment of the experience, that's when it's just like, oh, okay, I can't play this. But with games like Shield Blade, where they added to the experience, was dope because that's a real achievement. Like, good players would sit there for like 20, 30 minutes, just like real samurai. And they would think about their strike and they're leaving themselves open and their weapon choice and what kind of movements I can do with this weapon. And it just, it made you, it was like playing a fighting game and chess together. Because it made you really think about it. Because, yeah, you could run. They had playing moves where you can, like, I think if you pressed, ah, uh, see the, the, it's been so long. But I think it's like the R1 or R2 button. You can run and then slash at the same time. But you leave yourself completely open because you're rushing in. Whereas if you just wait and counter that. You can tie up the sword or you can knock it away and then go for the gut. 
Because that used to be the smart thing to do. Because I had to do that a few times with the ninjas. When you do slash mode, sometimes the best thing to do is just counter and just wait for them to come at you. Um, but you have to just totally think. Because sometimes, man, like, you just get caught off guard off little things. And I really love that. As a, Like I said, as an aspiring designer, that really taught me to let the environment help the players. Because, I mean, with the bamboo leaves, if you were smart... You could do strategies like, all right, cool, I'm going to get around like a lot of bamboo and I'm just going to stay here and I'm going to go for a stab strike, you know, rather than like, you know, striking my sword all over the place, you know, like all willy nilly. If I just lure the player in, I can just stab them and then I, I win. Or you could kneel and you can crawl towards your opponent and go for a low stab if they're not looking or not careful or slash up. I mean, it was just great, and then sometimes you had to be careful because you would. It, they actually had it to where you could break body parts, or they could slash your leg, and now you can't really move. So like, and it was very realistic in terms of like, if they went for an artery or nicked you, you know, or just got your chest or whatever, and they hit a vein, oh, you're dead. That's it. Blood comes out. You, it's over. So. It was really tight, man, and you never see any fighting games like that again. Uh, again, I, I didn't know it was on PlayStation Network, so that's cool. I don't know if it's still on there now, but uh, also there was one that kind of there was another game that kind of took after it called Kengo, um, way of Bushido, um, but it was also like a, a silent hit kind of thing. Um, but nothing beats the original Pachuca Blade 1 and 2. I really loved it. Great fighting game. Great mechanics to it. Um, the characters were straight out of a, a samurai movie. You know, it felt like you're in a black and white samurai movie. And again, it just, when you played each other, it made you think, like, okay, what is my opponent going to really do? Like, what steps should I do next? Should I go for the fancy sword play? Or should I go for the direct strike? And, I mean, I loved it. It was great. Um, again, the same thing happened with the second one. Uh, when they came out with it, you know, it was it was around that time where they're releasing so many RPGs. Like, guys, I think a lot of people fail to realize how many PlayStation and PlayStation 2 games came out. You know, there were, like, close to... There were thousands of PlayStation 2 games. We know that already, but you know it was about it was very close to the same amount of PlayStation games as well, and uh, so many of them were forgotten in time. Because I would love to see a sequel to this game today by Square Enix. Um, they don't have any plans for it. They haven't talked about it in a while, but I would love, love, love to see another Bushido Blade. Especially now, I think now would be really cool with updated graphics, the new phys physics engine they got, the new particle engines. It would be great. Um, I know Square Enix's uh, focuses are elsewhere right now, but I would love to see that kind of old classic come back because um, I loved it. It was always something I would root for. I was really hurt that I didn't get the second one when I had the chance. Um, Matter of fact, one of my buddies, shout out to Mr. Brandon. He knows where he is. Um, he actually had Bushido Blade too. 
I had one. He had two. And, um, yeah, I, I love that game. It was dope. I love Shield Blade. Shield Blade 2 is just more fast action, but it was dope, man. I liked it. Do I think it would do well in today's society now? Um, or I guess in, in the world of gaming now. Absolutely. You know what would probably happen? We would probably have so many like streamers on it and it would just be like suspenseful. Like that's, you know, I'm actually surprised that no streamer has picked up Bushido Blade and started playing it with their friends. Because that, and, and I think it's probably because they don't know what it is. But if they had that, that would be cool because that would just be like just suspense. It would be just and if I were them, I would do this. If I was streaming Bushido Blade, I would do this. I would just sit there for thirty minutes with me and another person, and we just dance around, dance around. Ten minutes might pass. Maybe I go for a hit. He blocks it. Or she blocks it. Then we go back to just dancing around, showing each other's moves. And it would be dope, because I I really think this new generation, if they knew about Bushido Blade, they would love it, because we were in love with it. Again, it was a very, like, okay, you know, it's coming out kind of thing. Um, But it was it was a lot of fun. I loved it. I loved that series. So there's that. Um, just an awesome game, guys. If you get a chance, go check out, look for Bushido Blade. It's a lot of fun. Um, one of my favorite games to play uh, of all time. So, and then because I'm the only one here, I got another treat for you. Got another wine I'm gonna pull out of the cellar. So, uh, and it's kind of all I know. Leroy is probably somewhere to talk about right now. It's not all RPG, Leroy. That first one was a fighting game. Well, this one's kind of RPG, but. So, here's something you might not know. This is also a Square Enix game. So, a long time ago, Square Enix made a little game called Final Fantasy Tactics. Now, I think I've talked about it on the show before. If I hadn't, I'll come back to it. Just let me know. Let me know in the comments. Let me know when you guys listen to it, whatever. Um, anyway, Final Fantasy Tactics was a really awesome game. We all enjoyed it. Another sleeper hit. Has a huge cult following. And go on to spawn two or three... Uh, sequels. Hopefully, we'll get a remake one day. I'm hoping and praying, but you know, you never know. But anyway, it kind of came out around the same time. Well, unbeknownst to us, um, Square Enix at the time, or Square Soft at the time, but Square Enix, I'm just going to say Square Enix because that's easier and it, well, whatever. Anyway, Square Enix, as they're called now, um, they were actually trying to world build the world of Ivalis. Um, if you played Fallen Face Tactics, which I know a few of you probably have, um, you know about some of the story, you know about some of the things that were going on around the Empire. But also, what some people don't know, a lot of people don't know, is in that same world, aside from, of course, the, well, I take that back. So in this world, there is Fallen Fantasy Tactics, Final Fantasy XII and the one or two sequels it has, which includes the cell phone game and the DS game, which was, uh, I didn't waste time on that. Um, and then also, of course, um, 
Final Fantasy Tactics Advance and Final Fantasy Advance or Final Fantasy Tactics Advance 2. Now both of those are also part of the universe, but not they were like kids found this magical book and it transferred them to that time period. So it kind of happens in its own little pocket. But Final Fantasy Tactics, Final Fantasy 12, and 12 sequel, which came out on DS, maybe the cell phone game, are closely tied in because they happen around, like, there's some time between the two, but they happen almost in the same world. Um, So they were trying to world build. They never really did anything else other than say, like, hey, they were in that world. And they had plans to do a few more things, but they eventually decided not to. Anyway... Um, well, there was another game that was in that time period that a lot of people don't know a lot about. And in fact, you know, it's barely talked about nowadays, but it is one of our old favorites. Can you guess what it is? It is da 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 Vagrant Story. Now, for those of you who don't know what Vagrant Story is, Vagrant Story is this beautiful action role-playing game that totally, one, bent the genre again on its head, and two, was another one of those, like, hey, you know what, let's just have fun. We got, you know, Fall, I think at the time, when did this come out? This was, oh yeah, this is like in 2000. So, Square had already made their money with Fall Fantasy VIII, and they're like, fuck it, let's just do some new shit. And that's what they did. So, this was also, this also takes place uh, around, you know, Final Fantasy XII and Final Fantasy Tactics. Uh, according to records, it says this was actually developed by the same team, so that would make sense why it takes um, takes place around that time. But anyway, your job was to investigate a cult leader um, and this villain, Valendian? Valendian uh, parliament member Duke uh, Bardoba. And so basically what happens is the main character, Ashley, is blamed for murdering the Duke and the game uh, begins kind of like, you know, you've proven his innocence, stuff like that. But it was really great because it was all about like puzzle solving, strategy, and it was just this weird, like they had this nice new turn-based system which was dope, which actually serves as what, uh, it, it kind of serves as an improvement on the Parasite Eve engine, which was really tight. And it focused a lot on your weapon creation and modifications. And it was dope. It was a great game. It was definitely another one of those like really big gambles that, you know, Square Enix was like, well, we don't know if people like it. But this time, they were trying to get people who normally weren't into RPGs into RPGs. That was the whole thing. They loved RPGs, and they wanted everybody to play them. But they knew a lot of people couldn't do the turn-based thing. Because people even used to talk about it. In fact, sometimes when I used to work at that hellish place at GameStop, people would come in and talk about, oh, man, like, RPGs are so stupid. I'm just sitting here. I hit you. Then you hit me. That's the stupidest shit ever. And now... Oh, excuse me. Now, these same people are about to probably make it, make one of the world's best RPGs, excuse me. (coughs) Talking too much. Oh, God. 
them all to make one of the world's <clears throat> best RPGs into like the world's probably best action game. <clears throat> and why do you think they're doing that? <clears throat> Square Enix has been doing this for the longest. They have been trying to get people into RPGs. And so what they've always found is like I said, the people always come in and say they have a problem with turn based because they can't be patient. They can't wait. They want instant action. And so <coughs> thanks to games like Parasite Eve, which is basically a Resident Evil RPG, which was a lot of fun. Thanks to game like games like this, Vagrant Story, they had that. Vagrant Story was different because it had the third person perspective um, while exploring what they called Le Monde. And the catacombs underneath, um, you switch to first person to allow for a 360 degree view. Um, and then, you know, characters and sprites were proportionate to each other. It was on a three dimensional plane. <coughs> and everything happened in real time. The only thing, and this is where a lot of people get the possible real time combat system from, was the real time combat system. To where like you go in and you stop just like Fallout or any bio well not bio I'm sorry any obsidian game that's like tabletop heavy base you would pause the game and you would like you know actually target where you wanted to hit the enemy but what skill and stuff like that it was really dope and so you did chain combos um you did like succession combos and it was really tight <coughs> Should get some water or something. But anyway, it was really dope. You also used magic in it. Um, the plot itself was really cool, and it, it was definitely something that kept your interest uh, for a while playing the game. And uh, it dived into the main character's past, and it was also talking about all this other stuff. And it was great. Um, I definitely highly recommend this as well. Um, this is another one I would love to see a remake of. <clears throat> Sadly, though, it um, it got released around the time that Final Fantasy IX came out and Chrono Cross, which were two way bigger titles for Square Enix. Uh, especially since, well, one, Final Fantasy IX was the last Final Fantasy for PlayStation before Square Enix said, okay, we're working on PlayStation 2 now. And Chrono Cross was the sequel to one of the world's most loved and cult hit instantly, uh, which was Chrono Trigger, even though it didn't have much um, to do with Chrono Trigger. Which, I'll talk about that in another episode, because I feel like, for all my RPG heads out there, that's an important title to jump on. Um, <clears throat> it was, um, it was so good, this game, Figure Story, was so good, that it's one of the few games to actually get 40 out of 40 from Fumetsu. I remember that, because Fumetsu... If you don't know what Fumitsu is, of course, they're a game magazine 
out of Japan that was like the they were like I don't know what to they they were the top dog of their magazines out there. It's, it, it's hard to say who's top dog here because now Game Reformer is the only one that's really still alive. But back then, it used to be like fifty publications, like EGM, uh, Game Pro, which was terrible, uh, official PlayStation Magazine, official Nintendo Magazine, just a lot of different publications. But in Japan, Famitsu was like the shit. Like you, you had to come through with Famitsu. And in fact, they were one of the big names. But here, EGM gave it a nine out of ten. Um, you know, IGN gave it a good score. GameSpot, all those. So you know, a lot of the people loved it, and it was one of those. It was another cult classics. And again, back during this time, during the the early, like, well, the late nineties to the early two thousands, Square was knocking shit out of the park. Seriously, they couldn't keep things from, like, failing. Because, like, Square was just like, we have time to do this now that Final Fantasy did such a great job. Because that was a mainstay. Um, so it was great. It was it was one of those, like, great story RPGs that was a new twist to everything. And the battle system at first was very, like, it, w- it was kind of hard to get into. But once you got it down, you understood... The grimoires and the targeting the different like torso or limbs on a body like it, it just worked the system worked and you just played the game smoothly um <clears throat> there will definitely never be a game like it anymore uh because it was just so original and so before it's time um and again, I would love to see this as a remake, as a full-on remake. Like, I think this also... Does, don't get me wrong, I like what Square Enix is doing with their remakes because they're giving games that really, truly deserve it a remake. Like, you know, Secret of Mana, of course, Fallen Fantasy Seven, Children of Mana, which is going to come out pretty soon. Can't wait to play that. Um, but I think it's high time they start giving games like Vagrant Story, um, Bushido Blade, like I just mentioned, uh, Parasite Eve, like a lot of those, which... Parasite Eve, I don't know if the other remake because they did make a sequel to Parasite Eve, which a third one. They made a sequel to it way back in the day, but they also, I think like in 2009, made a sequel to the like the the second game which was uh the third birthday and it was the third one in the series and it came out on the PSP. A great game as well. Um but I don't know if they want to keep that series going or they want to remake. Anyway, either way, they should bring that back. I would love to play the first one again on these newer consoles. Um, but yeah, Vagrant Story was just dope, guys. And if you get a chance to like play it or if you have anyone that has a copy of it, uh, it's a lot of fun. And I really, really enjoyed it. I don't I'm trying to see if it is on... Uh, okay, so it it is on, which I'll have to boot up my PlayStation Vita. It was, you could download it on either PS3 or PlayStation Portable. Um, but I don't know if you can, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, nope. I don't see it mentioned back on the PlayStation Store as it is now. Um, but yeah, I, I would I would 
definitely love to see it again. Um, again, the same team that worked on, you know, the Final Fantasy Tactics, all those worked on this one. And they did a great job. Uh, I think that team is still with screenings. But uh, according to research, in October 2007, during an interview with the development team responsible for the remake Fallen Faces Tactics for the PlayStation Portable, Fallen Faces Tactics The War of the Lines, executive producer Akatoshi Kawazu was asked about the possibility of a remake or port of the title to the PSP. Kawazu mentioned that it is the next natural candidate for such an update, although there would be difficulty in porting the game because it was a, a title that already pushed the original PlayStation to its technical limits. Uh, Kawazu also remarked that bringing the character Ashley Bryant into other Evilus titles would be difficult since, even in Vagrant Story, there's really not that much learned about Ashley Riot. Which is true. This is, um, it was another one of those things where, like, you still want to know more about his character. That's why I wish they made a sequel to it, and they never did. Um... And I, and I think that was one of those ones where they just kind of wanted to one-shot it. And I understand, because sometimes you can't tell the story in just one game. Um, but I would love to see that again. And he's right. It did push the PlayStation to its technical limits. Man, because, I mean, you're talking about... Because back then, guys, PlayStation was like the king of loading. And when I mean king of loading, I don't mean that as a compliment. I mean, like, everything you fucking did, loading screen. If you don't believe me, pop in. If you can never find it, Chrono Trigger remake or remastered on the PlayStation, which uh, that came with the Fallen Fantasy 4, or it was called Fallen Fantasy Chronicles back, where it's Fallen Fantasy 4 and Chrono Trigger together. Those are almost impossible to find, but I do have a copy of that. Um, yeah, every time you want a victory on Chrono Trigger, like loading. Like, it was, it was just bad. Like, Chrono Trigger, I would much rather just play that on my Super Nintendo or play my DS. <coughs> Excuse me. Or play my DS copy because the PlayStation copy just played with loading times. Um, or now, like, I think they have a Steam updated version, which is a lot better. So, there's that. You don't have to worry about loading times and shit. Um, but anyway... It was, yeah, it was a great game. I want to see it again, and uh, I love it. I hope that we, if if they don't, <clears throat> I would at least like to see it come back if they don't make a sequel to it, but I, I would love to at least see, like, a remake or something. Now, that's not to say they don't mention it in Final Fantasy Tactics. There's a lot of ties to it in Tactics, like, where there's, like, um... You just find like a few little hidden things, like kind of basically fan service. And then there is a few uh, references to it. Um, oh, actually, in the new Final Fantasy XIV Stormblood, uh, where they did a return to Illustrate. That's cool. Oh, I like that. And uh, you see alternate versions of Leymond and Valnean. Uh, okay, that's, that's kind of cool. Um, but yeah, I just want more from that. Now, <clears throat> before we end it, let's see how much these titles are worth now. Just in case you like me, you want to be an old head, I mean, go back and play them in original format. Let's see. Hold on, look it up now. So, 
Bushido Blade. Let's see. <coughs> Man. Oof. I need to go hit something. My throat. That was bad. Um. Okay, so Bushido Blade runs anywhere from like. <coughs> like. 27 to, of course, if it's like mint condition, 79.95. I can see that. Excuse me. Oh, wow. 120 if it's factory sealed from Squaresoft. Damn. Okay. Uh, damn, the Japanese one's even like 45. All right, so... <coughs> Excuse me. Not impossible to obtain some of the lower ends if you just want the disc. 12.99 on PlayStation. Not bad. I would at least try to get a case, though. Um... The pre-owned, like, mid-grade copies, it just, it's pre-owned, and you can tell it has some scratches on the casing. Uh, it's $31.50, so that's not bad. And, um, of course, these prices on eBay. Shout out to eBay. Um, and then Shield Blade 2 is kind of in the same running. Anywhere from $33.99 to $49.99. Uh, Shield Blade 2 unopened. That's you. Hmm. All right, I don't see any unopened Shield Blade 2. Let's try it. Let's see. <coughs> hmm. Um. Yeah, I don't see. I see 49 for one that is. Is that mint? Uh, yeah, sealed, still $49. That's not bad. That's about what it cost when it came out, so it didn't just go down in price. But if it's been open, you got them like 39 uh, 25 stuff like that. So, you know, you can still find those for pretty good values. Let's check out Vagrant Story. Let's see how much that's worth right now. So sorry, guys. I died on the mic. I don't know what that's about. Wow. Okay. So Vagrant Story is like thirty-one ninety-nine. Ooh. Okay. It's a little bit more expensive. Just the disc itself, thirty dollars. Um. Forty-nine ninety-nine. All right. See one that's in pretty decent shape, thirty-nine ninety-nine. One without a manual, $30.38. So generally about $39.99 price range is what you're looking at. Uh, which is not bad. Again, um, when it came out, it was about $49.99. It is double disc. So, uh, yeah, you, you got that. Or you can pay for one with disc only. Clean, it's been tested, it's $19.99. Uh, which, I think the game itself is only one disc. But the cool thing is, back then... Excuse me, and this is what I loved about some companies is that they actually used to give their own demos out. Like Square Enix did that a lot with their games. Like Vegas Story had this cool uh, demo disc of their different games you could play. Um, same thing with I think Parasite Eve Two, and like a few other games. Like they come out as double disc, and you're like, oh man, did I get like a lot of game? But in actuality, 
It's just not. Nah, it's a demo for some of the other games we're going to have coming out. So it was really cool. Uh, I've highly enjoyed that growing up as a kid. So, so yeah. Oh, and then these, wow, these, like, super complete mint editions are, like, 89. Wow. Okay. So, yeah, the game is still worth anywhere from, like, 40 bucks and up. So, you know, still a very big uh, game out there in terms of, like, the underground and RPGs, uh, period. So, yeah, guys, um, that's your fond wands. I had to double it up since I was the only one here today. But, uh, yeah, if you're interested in these games, if you want to know more about them, just, yeah, just hit me up. Uh, you can actually hit us up here. Hey, guys, Rockman3k3 here of the Nerd Plate, of course. The Nerd Plate. Uh, just saying, you can see us everywhere at the Nerd Plate, especially on Twitter. It's at Nerd Plate. Uh, but Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, the Nerd Plate. You guys know what it is. Also, don't forget to check out my new book, Confessions of a Serial Writer. Uh, pretty good if you like poetry, deep into stuff. It's really awesome. So, again, I'm Rockman3k3. Thanks for listening to the Nerd Plate. You guys are awesome. I'll see you next time. We out. Okay, guys. So, of course, uh, you know, this is <laughs> the end of the show. Thank you so much for rocking with us. Really appreciate you listening. I hope you enjoy uh, these fun ones. Um, <clears throat> don't worry. I'll come back with more every now and then. Um, well, you know, if there's anything you would like to see or any topics you'd like to see come up or anything you'd like to know about the old days in terms of old uh, gaming, you know, that I might be an expert on, just let me know. Anyway, guys, I really appreciate you listening. I'm Rockman3k3 saying I'm out of here. Y'all enjoy. Keep playing games. Keep walking on. And I uh, love you guys. All right. I'm Rockman3k3. We out! It's the nerd play, baby. Woo!